They got some stuff. Is it not there? Go over to the Petro Club and get a pop tart. What? You already go there? Why don't you get a pop tart? says he's sick and I'm actually kind of feeling sick myself so probably not I may just get lunch and take it back I know I may just have to go and get some essentials but I'm really feeling sick right now not felt good I thought it was my allergies but now I'm not sure that it was
Well, good morning. I know we still have a lot of folks coming in, but we want to start on time, so we want to welcome you to First Baptist. We are glad you're here. Why don't you stand up and move around and make sure everybody's greeted. Don't leave anybody ungreeted. We're glad you're here today. Well, all right. Thank you so much. You can be seated. We do want to welcome you here. On the back page of the worship guide, there's a QR code. If you're a guest, all you need to do is scan that. It'll take you to um, our website or to a little place where you can put in some information and get the information you want. Promise you that's all we'll send you is what you asked for. It also has a link to the website if you want more information. So please. Make sure you do that. If you don't know how to do the QR code, some of, like in Doug's generation, um, well, first of all, Doug, your phone won't do that, but get Linda's, um, the grandkids can show you how to do it. But we are glad you're here. If you'll look, there's a couple of announcements for you. Um, first of all, the Thanksgiving food boxes are still there for you to purchase if you'd like to help a family. Operation Christmas Child, you can see the boxes over there. Um, that packing party is tonight in this room. And then the women's Christmas dinner, the tickets are on sale this week and next week. And so we would love for you to pick one of those up. All proceeds go to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And then you can also see a little bit more about Lottie Moon. Speaking of Lottie Moon, I want to show you a, a, a graphic real quick. Um, this past year, the International Mission Board, through your Lottie Moon and Cooperative Program Giving, 122 countries, 728,589 people heard the gospel. That means they heard a true one-on-one -on -one gospel presentation. 178,177 new believers. That's worth clapping for, right? Come on. That's good. 21,231 new churches and 102 and 417 baptisms. That's last year reported through the, Internet, new, the International Mission Board. Our Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal this year is 105,000. We reached it last year. We want to challenge you to reach that offering again. Every penny of that goes to make this kind of thing happen. Not one thing is kept out for administration. It's all given straight to the missionaries on the field. And so we want to encourage you to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Well, let's pray together, and then Russell's going to come and read our scripture. Father, thank you so much for this report that we see. 
Thank you for the way the gospel is spreading. And we recognize that we're just a small piece of that pie, that there are a lot of other people, a lot of other organizations who are sharing the gospel. And we rejoice that people are coming to know you. Father, I just pray that you speak to us today through the reading of your word, through the singing of your word, the preaching of your word. And then as we give, may we respond and give our lives and our finances to you in a way that brings you glory. Bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Russell, come read our scripture, please. Good morning. Today's scripture is John 10, 7 through 18. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lay down, lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's continue to worship the Lord with joy and thanksgiving. Let's sing about who he is this morning. Yeah. 
ashamed of what was shackled me. How infinite, that grace divine. I am free, I am free, I am a child of our sin 
and forgives us for our sin. We have to call out to you to save us, to be born again. But Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross. And we praise your name for that, Father. Help us to die daily to ourselves, to our own desires and sin. And Father, help us to live for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name.
should be seated, but let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that it is there we're forgiven. When we come to you and place faith in you and what you did for us there, you forgive all sin. Not some, not most, but all. And not just the sins of our past, but even the sins of our future. You are a good and gracious God, and we praise you. We thank you that we can come and worship you today. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom we enjoy as we worship here today. We're mindful of the freedom that you give to us through your cross. And we know that many across this world who who may not enjoy the freedoms we enjoy as a people, they have freedom in Christ, and we thank you for that. But on this Veterans Day weekend, we thank you for the freedom that's been earned for us. We thank you that we can come and worship freely here without fear of punishment. We thank you, Father, for for being able to live where we live. And we thank you for those men and women who even now put it on the line so that we can enjoy this freedom. We thank you for those who have served our country in the past and are serving now. And we pray, God, that you would bless them. You tell us to pray for our leaders, so we do. From the private to the commander-in-chief, we pray for every single person. And we ask, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and that you would guide them. We pray for the chaplains across each of the branches that that you would minister to them and help them to minister to the soldiers. God, help us to be faithful to pray. So thank you, Lord, for the freedom we have. Thank you that we can come and worship you. Bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We started there last week in Colossians 1, and we'll be there a while. I don't do it enough, but as I was sitting there and we were singing those songs, and, and those are not just songs that any musician can pull off. I think sometimes we forget how blessed we are with the Kim and the guys that, that lead us. And I just want to say thank you to them for the way that they lead us week after week because it's, um, we, we don't need to take that for granted. God has blessed us as a church. Um, Colossians chapter 1. Last week we looked at the first two verses and saw the introduction. Today I want us to look at verses 3 through 8. That's going to be the text that we'll study, but I want to read through verse 14. So I think... The, the, the screen will stop at verse 8, but in your Bibles, continue in verse 9. Would you stand and honor the reading and preaching of God's Word? Paul says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven... Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, 
just as you heard it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. That's what we'll stop today, but let's read on. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, we're just a couple weeks away from Thanksgiving, and and as we approach Thanksgiving as a holiday, I I just want to ask you, what makes you thankful? When you think about in your life, what brings out the Thanksgiving? Is it, is it just a football game, or is it, is, it, is it family? What is it that causes you to be thankful? It's interesting to study the Apostle Paul in his letters, because he expresses thanksgiving often. Let me give you some examples. In Romans chapter 1, verse 8, he was thankful for their faith that was proclaimed in the whole world. In 1 Corinthians 1.4, he is thankful for the grace of God that was given to them in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1.16, he gives thanks for all that Christ has done for them in that church and for their faith and for their love. In Philippians 1.3, he says simply, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He mentions giving thanks in both of the Thessalonian letters. And the first letter, he, he thanks God, and, um, and, and he always says, I'm always giving thanks for you. In the second letter, specifically, he thanks God because of their faith that was growing abundantly and their love that was increasing. And Timothy, we saw him last week, his son in the faith, he, he thanks God and Timothy that, that God was giving Timothy strength. These are the kind of things that made Paul thankful. And what's interesting is the things that brought out thanksgiving in Paul's life were things that centered around the gospel and the impact of the gospel upon people's lives. So when you look at that, I'll ask you again, what makes you thankful? It's interesting when you look at verse 3 that that Paul gives us a glimpse, a glimpse into his prayer life. So let's look at the glimpse. It's, it's a glimpse into Paul's prayer life. He says, this is why I love Colossians, his, his prayer here and his prayers in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. They're just rich in, in teaching us how to pray. But we get a little glimpse. He said, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Two things jump out. The first one we've already talked about, thanksgiving. He says, we always thank God. Paul says that over and over again. So when he's praying for the church in Colossae, he's always giving thanks to God. And and here's what I want you to to remember. Thanksgiving, as we just saw, is a huge part of Paul's life, and it should be a huge part of our prayer life. Don't just jump into the request. 
Don't just jump into the needs that you have. Don't just jump right in. I, I've told you before, um, I have four daughters, and one of those daughters, had a, she's very goal-driven, and, and she had a habit of, of always calling me, and the first thing she said was, hey, I need you to. <laughs> and I'd say, well, hello to you too. And I'd make her stop for a second. I said, listen, and, and now she's really worked on it. Say, like, hey, dad, how you doing? Love you, dad. I need you too. And, um, and sometimes we pray that way. We just jump right in. God, I need you. And you know, when you're in a desperate situation, that's okay. But approach, approach prayer like you approach relationship. Don't just jump into the request. Start with thanksgiving. Don't be so quick to take credit for stuff. To see that God's done it and thank him in prayer. But the second thing we see, and it's just, it's implied here. But I told you last week that, that Paul didn't plant this church. And it's most likely that Paul never visited this church. But he's praying for this church. Our prayer life cannot just center in First Baptist Church. We can't just pray for our church. We can't just pray for the churches in Pell City. We, we can't limit our prayers just to the churches in Alabama or just Southern Baptist churches. We, we have to be a global people. We continue to pray in the Apostles' Creed. It always kind of causes people a little problems when it says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And people think, what do you mean we believe? It's not the, it's not the Roman Catholic Church. It's the, it's the global church. It's the universal church. So when we're praying, when we, when we hear about Israel and Palestine, we're praying for the church in both of those countries. We're praying for the church in Ukraine, and we're praying for the church in Russia. We're praying for the churches that are beginning to grow in Muslim parts of the world. We need to be a people who, who pray for the world and pray for believers and rejoice when you see statistics like we saw at the beginning of the service. When you're rejoicing over that, you give to that and, and you give your life to that. And Paul gave his life to see the kingdom grow. And so he's rejoicing that the kingdom's growing. It's interesting, if you look in verse 2 last week, he blesses them by saying, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Now compare that to, to our text. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and he says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at that passage, the, the key word there is, is Lord. He's giving thanks to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The key word is Lord because Jesus is, is the Son of God in a way that you and I will never be. If we're saved, God's our Father. If we're saved, we saw this and even when we prayed through the Lord's Prayer a couple of weeks ago, He is Abba, but He is Abba to us in a different way than He is to Jesus because Jesus is God. And Jesus is Lord, and Jesus has always been. He is the Son of God in a very unique way. And so when we think about the fact that he's our Father, when, when Paul says grace to you and peace from God our Father, and then that we thank God to the Father, we give thanks to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's our Father because of what Jesus did to make him known. The only way that, that we can call God Father 
it's because we know Jesus is Lord. And when we know him as Lord because of what he did for us on the cross, we enter into that relationship. Paul will say some amazing things about Jesus. He, he starts here by calling him Lord. But look down in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. Now just stare at that for a moment. In Jesus, all the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. Fully God. In chapter 2, verse 9, for in him, that's in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. God is our Father, but again, only because Jesus Christ, our Lord, left the glory of heaven and he came and he paid the price so that we could enter into a relationship with him and he could become Abba. So we can, as, as, as one of my professors, Dr. Curtis Vaughn, said, we can, uh, we can say that, that the God to whom we pray, the God to whom we pray is the God whom Jesus has made known to us. The only way we know God the Father is that he's revealed himself to us in his word and revealed himself through Jesus Christ. So we know him as Father. Paul's prayer life centers in God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it starts and continues with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was the banner of Paul's prayer life. John Piper said that. Thanksgiving was the banner of Paul's prayer life. What's the banner of your life? What's the banner of your prayer life? The banner of our prayer life should be praise and worship and thanksgiving. So we see a glimpse of Paul's prayer life. But we also see the reason for Paul's thanksgiving. The reason for Paul's thanksgiving. Look at verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints... Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. We see Paul's thanksgiving centering in three, what some have called three cardinal virtues of the Christian life. Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians, now there is faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. But here he reverses it. Here it's not faith, hope, and love. It's faith, love, and hope. I want you to hear me. Paul is not an accidental writer. He doesn't make accidents. And the reason I say that is not because Paul was perfect, but because the Holy Spirit who led Paul was perfect. Paul is not an accidental writer. Paul is a purposeful writer, and Paul is an inspired writer. And so as Paul's writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he says something like this, instead of faith, hope, and love, he says faith, love, and hope, he's telling us something. And I want you to just kind of get a glimpse of this. I, I studied this. I listened to some different guys, and, and, and guys like Piper helped me with this. It's, it's incredible because it, it really centers in the little preposition because. Because of the hope laid up for us in heaven. 
I want you to think about what Paul is saying. He's, he's saying he heard of their faith, he heard of their love, and he says their faith and love exists because of the hope laid up in heaven. Paul is thankful for what the hope of the gospel produces. He's thankful for what the hope of the gospel produces. Now that seems backwards to us. We think faith produces hope, love produces hope, but Paul says hope produces faith. Hope produces love. It comes out of love. Faith and love come because of hope. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now what is hope? Hope's expressed in, in really several ways, but three main ways in the New Testament. Hope is expressed as an act. Listen to it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says, set your hope fully on the grace. Set your hope. That's an action. It's something you and I must do. I can look at Keith and say, Keith, set your hope on that. And I'm telling him to do something. But there's another way that hope's used. In Acts chapter 28, verse 20, Paul tells the elders in Rome, he says, it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. He was a prisoner. It's because of the hope of Israel. Now here, hope's an object. It's something that he's looking toward. Because I'm looking toward this, I'm in chains. Because I'm looking forward to something, it's it's what Paul says, or, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews says about Moses. He said that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. The writer of Hebrews says Moses was looking toward the reward. And that reward is what Paul describes as the hope laid up for us. It's an object. It's an act, set your hope. It's an object. It's also a person. We see it in Colossians 1.27. I told you last week, this is the theme of the book, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is the hope. And so it's an act, it's an object, it's a person. Which one is it here? It's an object. When Paul says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, he's talking about the object of our hope, the thing for which we are hoping. What is that hope? What is it that we are hoping for? What is it that we're hoping to? What are we hoping toward? Well, if you look in Paul's letter, for example, in chapter 1, verse 12, he talks about the inheritance that we have. In verse 13, he says that we have this promise that will be transferred from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we have an inheritance to hope in. We, we have a, a transfer to the kingdom of Jesus to hope in. And chapter 1, verse 14, it's the forgiveness of sins that we hope in. And then chapter 1, verse 27, it's Christ in us that we hope in. That's just a taste. So let's just look at what Paul says there in those few verses. Hope is an, is an inheritance in the kingdom of Jesus where we enjoy the forgiveness and Christ in us. That's a hope that we have. There's an inheritance for us. There's forgiveness for us. There's heaven for us. 
There's a kingdom for us with a king. We have hope that is set up for us. Now notice something. He says, of this, of the hope laid up, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Notice that. In the word of truth, the gospel. You know what that tells us? The gospel's truth. The word of God is truth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not made up. It's not myth. In our age, it's not my truth versus your truth. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as my truth. There's no such thing as your truth. There's truth. And that truth is found in Christ. That truth is found in the Word of God. And church, we must take a stand on this because the world is knocking away saying, well, that's just your truth. That's just your truth. That's just your truth. Nothing boils me more than that. Your truth? No, it's truth. There is truth that is absolute. And what Paul says is the gospel is truth. It's the word of truth, the gospel. In the Greek, it literally says it this way. The word of the truth of the gospel. The definite article is with all three words. The word of the truth of the gospel. Paul, Paul's teaching. Hang with me just for a second, okay? Paul's teaching us something that's amazing, and if, if we can catch it, if we can grasp it, it'll change the way we do evangelism. What Paul is telling us is that when we share the gospel with lost people, lost children, when we share the gospel with whoever it is or teach the gospel to anyone, what he says we need to do is show the eternal hope that is before us. Show the hope. Show the beauty of Jesus. Show what Jesus did on the cross. Show what Jesus did through the resurrection. Show what Jesus is doing. Show the hope that we have laid up for us in heaven. Ultimately, it is in heaven, that hope that we have. But there's an already, but not yet. Yes, it's already in heaven kept for us, and it's not yet enjoyed, but it's also being enjoyed now. There's a hope that we have now as we live out the Christian life. We set our minds on that hope. And we live it out. And as we live out the hope that is before us, our lives change. Everything changes. Have you been around people who just have hope in Jesus? No matter what happens, no matter what comes their way, hope, hope. Do you have that hope? Look to Jesus. Look toward Jesus Christ. Hope is always there for us. It's in Christ. The world desperately needs the hope that the gospel provides. We must point them toward that. Here's what we see. When I see the gospel hope, when I see something as glorious as the gospel, have you stopped to consider how glorious the gospel is? 
that God would leave heaven and come to this earth and die in our place and raise from the dead and go back to heaven and send his spirit. And if you call upon him, you will be saved and he will come into you and ultimately you will be with him forever. Have you you just stopped to consider the glory of that? The glory of the gospel that we have The hope that we have that no matter what comes our way, that no matter what happens, that no matter what struggles we face, this end, this is not our end. Heaven awaits us. We set our mind on heaven. We set our mind on the presence of God. We taste that. And the sight of his glory leads to faith. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I gave you the hope. I gave you the hope laid up for you in heaven. And that hope produced faith. You see, the gospel hope awakens faith. It's not faith awakening hope. Hope awakens faith. When we see the hope, when we see what Jesus has done, when we see the resurrection of Christ and we see that we too can be raised from the dead, when we see that hope, it awakens faith and we say, I want that. And then we trust in Jesus Christ. Now our faith has an object. Our object is Jesus. It's faith in Christ Jesus. When we see the glory of God and his gospel, when we taste him and see that he is good, we want him over everything else, and that's where faith comes. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that faith is it's the assurance of things hoped for. That's faith. It's the assurance of what's hoped for, that it's there. We have an object. We're putting our eyes on him, and so we are assured, and it's the conviction of things not seen. Now, this faith leads to action. That's why he says faith and love. Hope presented leads to faith. Faith leads to love. Love for God and love for all the saints. When hope is awakened through the word of truth, the gospel changes everything. Now, I was studying, and and I'll just give you credit. John Piper helped me here. You don't have to agree with everything Piper says, but sometimes he just helps me understand things. Piper says, he says, look back to Hebrews. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews. Just go to your right. You ought to open right to James and then go back left, okay? Hebrews, James. We're not sure who the writer of Hebrews is. Some say it's Paul. Um, but most don't believe Paul actually wrote it. He could have. I don't know who wrote it, to be honest. And if the Spirit wanted us to know who wrote it, he would have put his name in it. So we'll just stop right there. But chapter 11 is the Hebrews, it's Hebrews Hall of Fame of Faith. And he talks about Moses. I already read part of it, but let's go back to Moses for a moment in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, if you remember in in Exodus, 
Pharaoh decreed that all the Israeli children would be killed. All of them. All the newborns. But Pharaoh's mother and father didn't follow that decree, as did none of the other Jewish people. They didn't follow it. They end up telling the, the midwives to kill the babies, and the midwives wouldn't do it. But Moses was, Moses was kept and hidden for, for three months, he says here. Now, what he doesn't tell us is that that mother finally had to, to take her child and put him in a basket and put that basket in the river. And, and in the providence of God, that basket was discovered by Pharaoh, the king's daughter. So look what he says in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, why? Look at verse 25. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the, please, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses grew up in a king's house. He grew up as the daughter of the king's son. He had a better lifestyle than any one other Jew in, in Egypt. But the Bible says he, he refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter and chose to be mistreated with the Israelis. Rather than enjoying, look what he says, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, why did he do that? Look at verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ. Isn't that interesting? The Bible would talk about Moses and Christ. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. The reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. He's talking about the hope that's laid up in heaven. Moses looked at the lifestyle he could have as a son of the daughter of Pharaoh. He looked at the hardships of the slaves in, in Egypt, the Israeli slaves. But he knew the promises. Because his mother not only gave him up, but then he was able to be weaned, nursed and raised by his mother until a certain age. She taught him the promises of Israel. He knew the promises of God. And he says, I'd rather go through the hardships now and not enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin because I'm looking toward the reward. I'm looking toward the hope that is laid up for me. Now let me ask you a question. Do you live that way? Do you live the 80, 90, 100 years we have on earth? Do you live them for the ple fleeting pleasures of sin? You see, we live in a world that wants it now. If you can't afford it, just get a credit card and go in debt. We live in a world that says, get it now, pay later. We want to we wanna reap now, sow later. But the Bible says... So now, plant now. You may struggle in this life as you carry the cross, as you deny yourself. You may struggle as your friends leave you. You may struggle as you refuse to live like everybody else lives. You may struggle because you're not going after the fleeting pleasures of sin, but there is a hope laid up for you in heaven. And so like Moses, we don't go for the fleeting pleasures of sin. We go after the reward, which is far greater. So why, 
Why spend 80, 90, 100 years going after the fleeting pleasures of sin when we are eternal? We're eternal. We will be forever. And we will stand before God. So why not pay now? Pay now, reap later. Live your life for the hope. For the hope. Paul says something else. He says, he says not only for the hope that the gospel produces, but he's also looking toward the fruit the gospel produces. When you have that hope that comes from the gospel, when you come, that gospel that comes to you, if you look at verse 6, the, it, it came to you, the gospel comes to you, and it produces something. It produces love. It produces faith. It produces the fruit of the Spirit. Look at what he says. He said it's, it's bearing fruit and increasing. The whole world was hearing the gospel, Paul said, and it was bearing fruit and increasing. He's not saying the whole world had heard the gospel. He's just saying wherever he goes, that gospel is preached and it's producing the same result. You know, I found that true. Wherever you go outside of this country and you share that gospel, it produces fruit. It bears fruit. Ask Ken about his time in India and think about the time that we spent in Africa, places in China. I'm, I'm touring the, the Forbidden Palace in China in a communist place where the government doesn't want you to share the gospel. And I'm talking to this lady who is giving us a tour, and I'm sharing the gospel, and she is interested. She is piqued. She wanted that. She wanted that hope. The gospel produces, and we must place faith in the Christ of the gospel. It produces, it bears fruit like hope and faith and love. Or go to Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, and go on. The gospel transforms us, transforms us two ways. There's an internal transformation. That's faith. The moment you place faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, your sins are forgiven, and you are justified. I'll remind you again, that's a legal term that means that the God of heaven declares you not guilty. You hear that? When you place faith in Christ, he looks at, he looks at Kim, he looks at Tristan, he looks at Stacy, he looks at Jody and Joe Bob, he looks at us and he says, not guilty. You are no longer guilty of any of your sin. But not just that. He says righteous. You're not only not guilty of your sin, you're now righteous with the righteousness of Christ. That's an incredible transformation in our life. Sometimes it takes a while to see that transformation, but we're all transformed eternally when we place faith in Christ. We begin to change, and that leads to external change. External change. Internal change is faith. External change is love. You begin to love God. You begin to love others. And we're all changed internally as Christians, so we all begin 
to run. We all begin to run the race. Now let's be honest, the pace is different. The pace is different. If we were to go out on the track right now and say, hey, we're all going to run a mile, I have a feeling some of them might run a little faster than some of us. If I got to put my bets on it, I'll, just, I'll go with River and I'll just let River run for me. But, but the, the truth is, while we may, some be sprinting and some may be just moving at a, at a good pace and some people are just crawling, if you're a believer, you'd be, need to be moving. You're moving closer and closer to Christ. You're becoming more and more like him. It's, it's a pace that is different, but, but it's a continual pace that, that we grow. And, and, and here's the thing. Philippians tells us that he starts, what he starts, he completes. God finishes what he starts in us. And I'll just close with this. Go back to, to, um, to, our, to our last two verses in our text. And just look at Epaphras. Look at what he says about him. You remember Epaphras, we, we find out later in chapter 4, he's one of them. He's, he's from Colossae. He planted the church. We, we think he got saved in Ephesus. He heard the gospel from Paul. This is what he says. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow servant. i just stop there for a moment. He calls him a fellow servant. He, 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 he says you learned it from him. That word learned is the word that's related to disciple. You know what Epaphras did when he heard the gospel? He learned all he could from Paul and went back and taught all he could to the church in Colossae. And when he didn't have any more answers, he went back to Paul. And Paul writes this letter. Epaphras discipled those believers. Paul poured into him. He's now pouring into them. Just like we said last week. He's a fellow servant with Paul. You learned it. He's, he's, he's discipling them. He's shared with them. That word servant is, is, is a bond slave. He's, he's, he is, he, his will has been surrendered to Christ. Has your knee bowed to Christ? Is he Lord? Remember I said the key word there is Lord. Is he, is he Lord of your life and Lord of the way you think and the way you speak? Have you surrendered your will to him? He's a faithful minister of Christ on, on Paul's behalf. That word minister is often translated as deacon. And so what he's saying is, you've, you were served by him. He served you by bringing the hope to you. He brought the word to you. And let me just ask you, how are you serving the body of Christ? How are you using your gifts? And how are you serving outside the church? How are you using it? And he, he says he made known to them their love in the Spirit. It's the only time the Holy Spirit is mentioned here in Colossians. But the Spirit in them is producing it. You notice that? He, he talked about faith and love, and now he's saying that that love comes from the Spirit. Romans 8, 9. I'm almost done. Romans 8, 9 says... You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Listen to this. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, he's bearing fruit. Get this. It's the Holy Spirit that opened their eyes to the hope that was laid out for them.
It was the Holy Spirit that opened our eyes. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us faith and repentance. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us. It's the Holy Spirit that says you need that, and you answer, and you place faith that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that produces love in you. It's the Spirit that produces faith in you. It's the Spirit that drives the entire thing. And so right now, as I talk about hope, it may be that, that the Spirit of God is saying you need that hope. Listen to the Spirit. There may be something in your life that you're living for a fleeting pleasure. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And the Spirit's saying, listen to that. Listen, don't ignore him. Listen to what the Spirit's saying today. I just wonder this morning if, if you would bow your heads just for a moment. Kim's going to come, the guy's going to come. Or actually, Kim, just come and play for a second. I, I want to I close it this way. I, I want you to spend a few moments letting the Spirit speak to you. And sometimes when we sing, we focus on the words. And that's a good thing. But right now, I want you to focus on what the Spirit's saying. Let me ask you today, as Kim begins to play, have you heard the hope of the gospel and have you been saved? Are you born again? And you may say, well, how do I know? I want to suggest something to you. It's not just because you've prayed and been baptized. A lot of people have prayed and been baptized and aren't saved. If the Spirit of God is inside you, you're saved. Now that comes by asking Him to come and praying. So you have to pray. But the question for you today is, does the Spirit of God live inside of me? He said, how do I know? Let me ask you. How can Almighty God live in you and you not know it? You don't have to have certain spiritual gifts to be filled with the Spirit. You don't have to have certain things happen in your life to, to have the Spirit. But if the Spirit's in you, you know it. Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? Are you saved? Now, is He bearing fruit in your life? Is He producing? Are you becoming more like Christ? Do you have hope? Maybe the despair of this world has taken that hope away. And I want you to look back to Jesus and know that there's hope for you no matter what. There may be some sin in your life, things you're doing you shouldn't be doing, things you should be doing you're not doing. And that's, that's affecting your fellowship with God. Not your relationship, your fellowship. So maybe this morning you would need to ask the Lord to forgive you. Maybe you need to ask Him to come inside of you. I don't know exactly what you need to do this morning. I know this. If, if you need to do something public, if you need help, you just come down here. One of us will meet you. We'll help you in any way we can. I'll meet you. 
Keith's over there. Keith will meet you. Other guys will come. We'll help you if you need to know how to be saved. I think one of the greatest things we can look at in our life is what makes you thankful? Right back where we started, what makes you thankful? Those are the things that you're living for. Deep down, what makes you thankful? Father, I come before you and I thank you for each person that's here today. I thank you for the way they've been so faithful to listen. And I know we we went a little deep today and, and, and I'm just thankful for those who write and preach and help me understand your word. And my prayer is that as as I've tried to understand it this week, that, that somehow today I've made it understood that we live for the hope that is laid up for us and not for the fleeting pleasures of sin. Forgive us when we live just for the moment and not for eternity. When we treat others in the moment and not with eternity in mind. So help us, Lord, to, to live with a concrete faith and with a love that's centered toward you and expresses itself toward others. If we're yours, we should be more loving. And so, God, I just pray that, that you would speak to us now. there's something we should do that we would not quickly ignore it but Holy Spirit we pray as Jesus taught us that uh, that the word that has been sowed would go deep and it would bear fruit it take root and change us we love you we praise you and I pray, Lord, as the New Testament says, that the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts. That peace that we were called to in one body. And that we would be thankful. Speak to us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, right after this, we do have to do the chairs and all that, but I'll be standing right over here and and I would love to, um, to talk to any of you who may have some more questions about what I said today. Let the boxes be a reminder that at 6 o'clock tonight, they'll have a time of packing the, the Christmas boxes. And we've heard testimony after testimony from people who were saved through those boxes. And so 
Hopefully, you can be here and be a part of that. I'm leaving to go to Montgomery today. Um, the, the state convention is this week, so be in prayer for us there. But thank you so much. Greet each other before you leave. Put up the chairs and make sure you spend some time. Take care. See you Wednesday. <laughs>